Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. That was sick, right? My boy JC hooked me up right there. Hey, how y'all doing today? Redemption Church, I am glad to be with you today. And let me tell you why, because I get to speak on something that is so near and dear to my heart. I want to talk to you guys today about worship. And not only just worship, but actually uh, a certain aspect of worship that maybe you don't have the best relationship with. But I think it's so important. And I want to talk to you guys about praise. How many of y'all grew up in church? Okay, we got a good, a good handful, a good handful. What happened to praise and worship, right? Like, now it's just worship. Yeah. Like, where did, where did they go? Yeah. You know, it used to be praise and worship. Like, I figured it out as a little kid. I had it down, right? Whenever you go to church, you listen to two fast songs. That was the praise, you know, fast pace. We love the Lord. And then you have, you have your one slow song, and that's a worship song. Just get intimate with the Lord. And then you would get the word, right? Praise and worship. But it kind of like just disappeared. I just thought that was interesting. And I wanted to tell you guys a story about whenever I was a little kid and what we did. So um, the way that my church worked back then is they would let the kids all come to the front left two rows and uh, during praise and worship. And then we would do that, and then we would go back whenever the pastor would come up. We would go back to kids' church across the street, and we would finish out doing that there. Well, I want to tell you guys about this particular day that as a 27-year-old grown man, I'm still wildly embarrassed about. Every time I think about it, it makes me cringe. So I remember being like five years old, and one thing you guys need to know about five-year-old Ethan is I was really only into like three things. I was into sports, Dragon Ball Z, and Kung Fu. Come on. Like, that was it. And I was all in on all of those things. And so I thought, you know, five-year-old Ethan was like, you know what? This is the day. I'm out here in the front, and there's music playing. I get to jam. I think it's the perfect time to start practicing my Kung Fu. I've been doing it for about six months. Can you all imagine with me? Actually, you know what? <clears throat> you don't even have to. I'm going to show you. That was so dumb. <laughs> That's exactly what I look like, but like this big. <laughs> and I, still, I had a beard back then too, yeah. And so we left that praise and worship session. I was like, that was dope. <laughs> you know, we get back to uh, our kids' church. And I didn't realize, but apparently I was like, I, I had a calling to be a leader whenever I was young because um, whenever I started doing that, all the other kids started acting up too. <laughs> And they didn't know Kung Fu, so they were just doing the crazy stuff. You know, they were just jumping up and down, like sucking on their toes and stuff. And, <laughs> and we got back, and, and our, our kids' director was like real somber and quiet. And it was like, okay, what is this all about? And he said, everybody sit down right now. I remember he, he leaned over the table, and he said, what was that? 
That was so disrespectful. And I remember being like, I think I missed something. (laughs) There's something here that I did not understand. I thought I was in the clear, but apparently not. And you know, it's just like the enemy to take little moments like that and really do something deep inside of your heart that prevents you from being able to worship the Lord later on. For me, in that moment, something clicked over, something, something turned off, and I felt like I had lost the permission to express myself in praise. And maybe that's, uh, that's you today. Whenever we're in praise and worship, um, you feel that same way. Maybe it's because you've never been to church before, and this is a new thing to you, and you're like, I don't really understand why everybody jumping up and down, raising their hands while we're worshiping. You know, like there's music going, I still don't understand this. Like, that's okay. But maybe you grew up in a church where uh, everybody put their hands in their pockets, especially the men. They put their hands in their pockets, and if anybody dared to raise their hand in worship, you were labeled one of those crazy, charismatic Christians dancing around with snakes and stuff, and you did not want to be that person. Maybe you were that person that did praise the Lord like that. With everything you had, you would dance and sing and shout and had a good time, but you let judgmental eyes fall on you and fall into your heart, and something closed up, like me as a little kid. And so now you don't feel like you have an expression to praise the Lord fully. What I want each of you to know, and I want each of you to be able to come to church together and praise with your fullest expression, whatever it may look like. And that's why I titled my sermon today, Permission to Praise. Oh, it's coming. (laughs) It's coming. Our text today that we're going to be looking at is out of the Old Testament. And if you guys are not familiar with the Old Testament, I'll just let you know, there's some stories in there, and they're a little weird. They're just a little strange. And um, today we're going to be looking at one of those. So y'all bear with me and just know that that's what's going to be happening here. But I want you to know also that the Lord, the Lord, um, oh, how's that? How's, I, it just came to me and then it left. That, that uh, the scripture Um, The Lord confounds the wise with the simple. So this will look like one thing on the surface, and we're going to talk about it, and it's going to be something different, okay? So I just want to encourage you guys with that. So here is the scripture today. It's going to be 2 Samuel verses 14 through 23. That is going to be our scripture today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. If you have your uh, version app, go ahead and find that. And uh, while you're doing that, I would like to go ahead and give you a little backstory on verses 1 through 13. So this is kind of the setup for everything. So pretty much King David, y'all know David and Goliath? This is the same David. Y'all gonna have to be a little more alive than this. I'm about to bring some energy, y'all. I need y'all to meet me here. King David, who was also the guy who defeated Goliath, just grown up now, and he became a king. Um, He was the king of the Israelites, and he rounded up an entourage of people, and they went over to the city of Bala to go pick up the Ark of the Covenant. And if you guys don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it was a box that was a symbol and representation of the Spirit of God, of the presence 
of God. It had like the Ten Commandments in it and a couple of other uh, choice items, and it was known to have a lot of power. It had the power of God with it, the Spirit of God with it. And the whole reason that they were going to Bala, Bala was a city that was uh, of the Philistines, which is actually their enemy. That's where Goliath was from, the Philistines. And so um, earlier, with even p- before this passage, they had gotten in a scramble with the Israelites and the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and brought it back to their city. Well, <laughs> the Spirit of God was not really big on uh, not being with his people. And so he just really kind of wreaked havoc, havoc on the city of Bala. And so they literally were like, hey, King David, please take your crazy box back. We can't handle it anymore. It's unruly. We can't do anything with it. It's, it's only causing all kinds of ruckus for us. So that's what David did. He went with all of his entourage and they went and they picked up the Ark of the Covenant. They put it on a brand new high tech ox cart, which if you don't know what that is, it's a cart carried by an ox. And they headed back home. This actually ended up being a terrible uh, decision to carry this way, which we will talk about. Um, there was this one guy named Uzzah. Everybody say his name with me. Uzzah. Uzzah was put in charge of walking next to the Ark of the Covenant and the ox cart. And so they're going along, and David and his whole squad, they're dancing and singing and praising the Lord with everything that they have. And right in the middle of that, something happened. Someone forgot to put air in the ox because he had a blowout, and he tripped. And whenever he tripped, you know, the Ark of the Covenant went, whoo, 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 whoo. And Uzzah, our boy Uzzah, reached up and touched the Ark of the Covenant. And whenever he did... God killed him. Just like that. that, On the spot. Boom. Dead. Uzzah is no more. R.I.P. Uzzah. He's gone. He's not in this story anymore. I'm telling y'all, this is like the Old Testament is pretty crazy. And from here, David got scared and mad that this happened. And the chest, he, he, he said, he basically said, like, this chest is too hot to handle. And so what he did is he's like, hey, we're going to make a pit stop right down the road and leave the chest, leave the Ark of the Covenant at my boy Obed-Edom's house. What a name, Obed-Edom. And so they leave it there. They go home. Three months pass. And that's where we pick up right here in verse 14. So that was a summary of 1 through 13. We have our setup. We know where we're at. David and his crew are on their way back to Obed-Edom's house to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back home to Jerusalem. So with that being said, we're going to look at 14 through 13 together, and we're going to unpack it. Y'all ready? Y'all with me? Come on. Let's do it. 9 a.m. service was good. I'm I'm expecting a lot out of 11 a.m. service. Verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which if you don't know, it's kind of like the equivalent to like some Calvin Klein whitey tidies. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, the ark of the covenant, with shouting and with with the sound of the horn. As the Ark of the Covenant came into the city of David, I thought I was going to be able to read it back there, but I want to read it right here. It makes it easier. Uh, Where are we at? 
Y'all help me out. Sixteen. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who was also the wife of David, looked out of her window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Right here in verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, also David's wife, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She basically said, somebody come give my husband. He's acting a fool in front of everybody. But then we see here, verse 21, David claps back at her. I'm not saying this is a good thing to do to your wife. I'm just telling you what happened. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me, or I'm sorry, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince of over Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased or also disgraced in your eyes. But the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be in honor. I, I shall be held in honor. And then it ends in perfect Old Testament fashion where you're like, what in the world is happening? Verse 23, and he called the daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death. We'll address that one at the very end. I promise it makes sense. But here is what I want to do today. I want to give you three points that I believe will help you have the permission, feel like you have the permission to praise to its fullest expression. I promise you guys are going to be on the same page as me as we go through. I promise it's going to be good. So what I want to do is if you have notes, go ahead and write this down. Our first main point, posture of praise. Let's look at verse 14 right here. It says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. You guys ever see people that can like really dance, like really dance? You're like, oh my God, they're so cool. My sister's one of those people. She got all of the dancing and rhythm in the Berwick gene, and I'm very jealous of her. But here's the deal, is that whenever I saw that, what I was seeing was that they looked so free. Right? You see it and you're like, what, what happens inside? You're really like, man, I wish I could do that. Right? I wish I could be free like that. 
And I remember, this makes me think about whenever I went to um, the Passion Conference a couple of years ago. And if you don't know, Passion Conference was a basically a, a Christian conference for college students all over the nation and the world. And we met up in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember hanging out there and we were having a worship time and Hillsong Worship was there and they were leading worship and they called everybody down. And so me and my friends, we took off down there to have what turned out to be just a party. We had so much fun. We were dancing around, singing, just having a good time, like no cares in the world. And everyone was doing that with us. And I remember looking into my friend's eyes and thinking, they have never been more free in their entire life. And I remember thinking, I have never been more free in my entire life. This must be what heaven is like. So what I want to do is take, uh, take a minute and talk about two postures of praise that we see here with David. So our first one that we're going to talk about is physical posture. <clears throat> Do you know that on average, only 7% of communication comes from the words that you speak? That leaves a whole lot of other percentage for your nonverbal communication within your body. That's how we speak to people. And it's 93% if, if you wanted to know. I just don't want you to think I don't know math. I don't know if there's any extra room for any other kind of weird communication I just don't know about. And um, so here we see several different types of nonverbal communications. And whenever you're observing nonverbal communications, it is not a tell-all. So like whenever you see it, if you see someone, um, you know, with their hands behind their, I'm just making something up. If you see someone with their hands behind their back, that doesn't mean for sure, like, you cannot trust this person, right? But what it could mean, and this isn't even what this means. I'm just giving you an example. And it could mean potentially insinuating that maybe you can't trust this person, right? So um, whenever I look at our church, and I see us in praise and worship, and I observe the body language, I want to talk about a couple of different physical postures that I see, okay? So like one thing that I see at Redemption Church is hands in the pocket, right? Got our hands in the pocket. I would ask you to raise your hand if you're guilty of that, but your hands are probably in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so hands in the pocket is a good indicator that you may be feeling um, lack of confidence and Really, you just don't know what to do with your hands, right? What do I do with my hands right now? Everybody else is, you know, what do I do with my hands? Oh, you, oh, there's a, there's a safe space right in my jeans. <laughs> That's cute, you know? It's a little safe space. And then you also have, you know, folding the arms right here, right? So it's widely regarded that if you fold your arms, I disagree, right? Because maybe some of you guys do that. But... In fact, that is not really what this means. The reason that people will do this, what it insinuates, is that kind of like with putting your hands in your pockets, you say, uh, there's a lack of confidence here, maybe. Maybe um, just feeling insecure. And why do I say that? Because this is really a self-hug. <laughs> Y'all never thought about this before, <laughs> right? So we're all about safe spaces and self-hugs, you know? And um, so that is something that I see. And these things are called closed body language. 
And whenever you look at closed body language, you can insinuate that maybe there is a lack of understanding in that moment, which is okay. Because like I said, maybe you don't know what's going on because you're not used to this. And so like, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just pointing stuff out, okay? I actually want to encourage you guys, which I'm about to do in a second. And um, so what I want to do is tell you about some other things that you'll see, some other ways, some other postures of praise that you will see at Redemption Church, okay? You'll see people raising their hands. Let me tell you why they do that. Because I understand if, you're, if you didn't grow up in church, then you're like, why do they, I don't understand, why do they do this whenever there's music playing? Like, what, what is this all about? I'll tell you. There's two reasons that you, we raise our hands in worship. One is surrender. And the other is celebration. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, I can prove it to you real quick. If you're at a grocery store and you know you picked up some, some breath mints because your breath is stank and you're headed out the door and you're about to get in the car and someone comes up to you with a gun and they say, give me your money and your breath mints. You say, ah, don't shoot. I surrender. I give over my control to you in this moment. I want you to know that I am not going to do anything in this moment to take it away from you, right? And then the other way, we've all seen sports, right? Whether you're a sports fan or not, and your team goes and scores a touchdown or a goal, hits that last three-point shot, whatever it is, we all know what everybody in the crowd does if, if you're on the winning team. <laughs> if you're on the losing team, it's called the the classic King Cobra, when they're like, oh my God, I can't believe it just lost. <laughs> See everybody doing that, right? No, whenever your team wins, you say, ah, we won, we won. So whenever you see people with their hands up during worship, it's because they're experiencing a moment of surrender before the Lord, or they're experiencing a moment of celebration before the Lord that God has done something in their life, and God is doing something in their life right now. Uh, Y'all just wait. Y'all just wait. All right, you'll see some people kneel. We all have Netflix and Hulu. No one has cable TV anymore. But we've all seen medieval shows. Who do people bow before? Kings. They bow before the king. And you know, God is a lot of things to us. He's a father. He's a friend. He's our comforter. He's our healer. But sometimes we forget that Jesus is our king. And sometimes during praise and worship, the Lord reminds you that he is your king and you just got to take a knee. You just got to bow down before the Lord. I tell you what, if you feel that, you better be obedient. (laughs) So these are not weird things. There's reasons for all of these things. And it's okay if you feel those things. Sometimes Pastor Byron's up here preaching, and I just want to run through the brick wall. I know I can't do that, so I don't do it, but that's how I feel. But there are things that we can do whenever we feel them, right? Whenever the Lord brings up something by faith. It's not by emotion. It's by faith, by the Holy Spirit. Let's see. So that's physical posture. 
That's just a couple of things on physical posture that we see with David and that we also see within our own church. Now I want to talk about a second type of posture of praise. And I would say it is much more important. And that is a heart of praise. So go ahead and write that down if you have your notes. Did you know that you can sing your little heart out? You can dance your little praise legs off? You can look the part and still be dead in your praise and worship? Mm. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. And the Lord said, because the people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from me. God knows whenever your heart is far from him, even if you're saying the right things with your mouth. Remember that. And I think the best way that we can go about this from here is said by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Woo! I'm going to come for you guys today. This is good. You should be encouraged if that's not you, and you should be convicted if it is. We should be worshipers who know richly, feel deeply, and express passionately. It's time for us to feel the weight of our calling that God has given us and with humility and passion lead those whom God put in front of us each week. Let's look at verse 14. It says, and David was dancing before the Lord with great enthusiasm. And David was wearing a linen ephod, basically Calvin Klein underwear, right? And I'm just saying that because I like Calvin Klein. But <laughs> we look at this and, and say, you know, like, that's kind of weird like that they would put that in there. But I want you to know that I think this is less about what David is wearing and more about what David is not wearing. Because let's not forget that David is a king. So he wears kingly things like a crown and a robe. And some sick Air One Jordans. <laughs> Probably not Air One Jordans. That wasn't it. But he wore things that were symbols of his kingship. But we see right here that he doesn't have any sign of kingship on him whenever he's praising the Lord. <sighs> maybe, maybe David knew something. Maybe David knew that he was a king. But right now, he's standing in the presence of the king of kings. David knew that he had authority as a king, but he knew that he was also standing in the authority of God, the author of life. He knew that he was standing before someone that all kings are going to have to bow before at the end of the day. So my authority, my kingship, amounts to nothing, and I submit it to you, God, because you are the king. I am a king. You are the king. And that's what we see with the body language and what David is wearing here. David humbled himself before the Lord, and we should humble ourselves before God to give him the praise that he deserves. And we should not only be Uh, bringing a humble heart to praise, we should also be bringing a heart of expectation. 
I'd like to refer back to Matthew 13, 12 right here. It says, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's why some of you Christians come into the church grouchy and you leave even more miserable than whenever you came in. You just sat through a whole praise and worship session with your church family, experiencing God himself, sitting under the teaching of sound word and taking communion before the Lord and you leave mad. Are you kidding me? That is like you going over to someone's house whenever they invited you over to connect with you. And the whole time they're trying to connect with you, you are glued to your phone and, and you don't even notice them. And then whenever you leave, you want to complain about it and be like, they're not even a good company. They're not even any fun. <laughs> Y'all, maybe the reason that you're not filled with his presence is because you are not present. Come on. Man, that is not a church problem. That's a you problem. You need to take that up with the Lord. We need to come with great expectation. Oh, Lordy, Lordy. Here's a pro tip for you in your Christian walk. Uh, Your expectation comes from history. You're like, what does that mean? With Jesus, our expectation comes from history. You can look to the future by looking at your past. How many times has God shown up for you? Yes. You thought you were done and out, that there was no way that anyone could love you. There's no way that you could take another step forward. But here you are today, getting life spoken into you. Yeah. And you can experience hope. Yeah. You can experience hope for your life. How many of you, your marriage was on the rocks. It was over. And then God showed up. Yeah. How many of you know that, that things happened in ways that you didn't understand? Like you lost a family member and it was terrible. And there's no way that you can make it through it. But somebody gave you a peace that passes all understanding. And now you're able to talk about it and encourage others and let them know that they can make it through too, that there is hope. Man, how many times has God shown up for you in your past? We look at David. David can praise. Why can David praise? Because he knows what his future is going to look like because he looks to his past. David, when, when David looks back on his life, he sees God everywhere. When he was just a little shepherd boy, God gave him strength to take on bears and lions and protect his sheep as a little boy. God was with him when he defeated Goliath, the giant of the Philistines. God was with him whenever whenever he had battles as a warrior. And God was with David when he was a fugitive being chased by King Saul and his army. And he knew that God appointed him to be the next king after Saul. But he said, I know that you have Saul in the place that he's in right now for a reason and for this time. So I will wait and I will let you fight my battle. And guess what? David honored God and God took care of Saul. And now David is king. How many times has God shown up for you? 
That's why David is able to praise the Lord right here. Expectation comes from history. You can look to your future by looking to your past with Jesus. So if you struggle with expectation, remind yourself of what God has done for you in your life. Remind yourself. And if you can't remember, if you're, if you're too bogged down by life, ask God. God, show me where you showed up in my life. And then you can also ask the people around you, the people that love you and are here for you, the people in church that you go to church with every single week, the people that you share life with, ask them, hey, can you tell me, uh, can you tell me some things, some ways that God has, has showed up in my life? And guaranteed that you're going to have some answers because God is there every time through the, through the victories and through the pain and suffering and loss. God is always there. So if you struggle with expectation, remind yourself of what God has done in your life so that you can bring expectation into your next encounter with God. Show up to, before God with great expectation and show up to church on Sundays with great expectation that God will show up. Verse 12 says, for to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. When you come expecting, the Lord will show up and not only will he show up, he'll go above and beyond anything that you can ask or imagine and that is a guarantee. Whoo! And this brings me to my second point right here. Write this down. Power of praise. I'm going to go back to verse 13, which was in our summary that I did at the beginning. And then we're going to talk about verse 17. Verse 13 says this. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf or fattened animal. And let me tell you that he did that for like 10 miles. That's how far this distance was in between that. Every six stance, uh, six steps, David was, was enthralled to take a moment and sacrifice. That's, that's really kind of crazy if you think about it. Even just taking six steps and stopping and then starting back up for like 10 miles, that alone is a task. But he said, no, this is what we need to do before the Lord because we have the spirit of the Lord with us and he deserves sacrifice. Here we go. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. What I want to talk about here in the power of praise are two things. The Ark of the Covenant, which is the Spirit of God, and sacrifice. I want to talk to you about the Spirit of God right now and sacrifice. So real quick, just to make sure we're all on the same page. The Ark of the Covenant was a holy symbol. It was a covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, which means a promise that God made to his people. Wherever the Ark dwelt, God was also there. The Israelites would build tents and temples as resting places whenever they would travel with it or if they got to their place. And they would set up a room for the Ark of the Covenant, for God's presence, and they would, they would seal it off with a veil. And no one was allowed to go in there except once a year. Y'all stick with me on this. 
No one was allowed to go in there but once a year. And they would send a high priest in. So that was like their big dog. The, the, the one that the Lord is with. And they go through a whole purification process that like was really long and exhausting. And they would send them in. They would send him in with the sacrifice. He would, his whole point was to go in there through the veil to the presence of God and sprinkle the blood of a sacrificed animal on it as, a, as an act of worship. Lord. They would wrap a rope around the high priest's leg because if he had any, if God sensed any bit of impurity in him right after that purification process, I guess if he wasn't being vulnerable enough with the Lord, in his heart, then he would literally be struck down dead. So they would tie ropes around him in case they heard a thud in the other room, and then they would pull him out. What I'm saying is that there was a lot of power here in the presence of God. And actually, they weren't even allowed, the high priest, whenever they went in there, they weren't allowed to look upon the Ark of the Covenant leisurely or even touch it. Which, I mean, let's go back to our boy Uzzah. He would tell you, you can't touch it. (laughs) It don't work out too well. Can't touch this. this. (laughs) My point is this. Back then, we had limited access to the spirit of God. There was a separation between his holiness and our sinfulness. And David would make burnt offerings and peace offerings to God because that was the best that he had to offer. Here we go, guys. Let me tell you that things are different now. I said I wanted to talk about two things right here, the spirit of God and sacrifice. The spirit of God and sacrifice. David had the Ark of the Covenant We have the new covenant, and his name is Jesus. Oh, my goodness. God the Father sent his son Jesus here to dwell among us. John 1.1 says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus is the word. What else do we call the word? The Bible. This is the word. This is the story of Jesus. This is what changes man. I love this quote. It says, if we as ministers are battling against the glory of this world with the glory of our own eloquence or talent, then we have been waving a flashlight with a dying battery in an arena of LEDs and strobe lights. Open the Bible and you turn on the power of the sun. Y'all, the sun. Jesus is the sun and the word. Oh my gosh. Do y'all hear me? This is crazy. You guys. 
Yeah, you know, like, oh my gosh, Ethan, that was like, that's crazy. That's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I feel like I'm up here in my underwear right now, like David. Got my Calvin Kleins on. No, I'm just kidding. Tell me Redemption Church does not love our Bible. We love to preach the Bible. Let's go. Yes, thank you. Get in this thing. It will challenge you, it will grow you, it will teach you, and you will become a more whole and healed person because it tells you about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and what he's doing for you right now. Jesus was sent here on a mission to be the ultimate sacrifice, to atone for our sins. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never live. He took on the sin of the entire world. That's all your sins and my sins. And I know, and you know, that we are both messed up. And he said, I will take all of your sins on me so that you can be reconciled in right relationship with the Father. And when Jesus died on the cross and three days later walked out of the grave, resurrected, he defeated Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. The veil, the veil was torn. There's no longer anything that separates us from God through Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. That doesn't make you want to praise him. I don't know what will, y'all. He's so good. He literally made the ultimate sacrifice so we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because that's all that we can do. Like, Lord, I know I'm terrible. I know I am. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I, that's all I have. I just, I can sacrifice my best animal to you. And Jesus said, and God, the father said, I can do you one better. I'm going to send my son to you as an ultimate sacrifice so that we can be back together. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> Jesus ascended into heaven after he resurrected. And he said, I must go so that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God can come and live within us. Y'all, we don't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore like David to have the Spirit of God with us because whenever you choose Jesus, he lives inside of you. He walks with you. The Spirit of God, the power of God walks within you. Mm. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jesus calls us to be living sacrifices. That's why we don't kill animals anymore as blood sacrifices, because Jesus paid the blood sacrifice with his own life. Now, it's only right that our only response that we can have for God is that we become living sacrifices. Let me tell you that you have purpose today. Yes. That you are not someone who's just struggling and trying to find your way through. Come on. That every day you can choose in on the Lord and say, Lord, I will be a living sacrifice for you. Yes. That is my response to you, Lord. My praise to you is that I will give my life over to you because you gave your life for me. Jesus gave his life so that we could live, so that we could like really, really live, that we could live in freedom. 
The only response that we could come up with that's proper and true is to be a living sacrifice for him. God is good, y'all. Yes. And we have to choose in on him every single day because it's a relationship. This brings me to my third point right here. My third and final point, product of praise. Let's write this down. Your praise inspires provision for other people. Verse 18 says this, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. I think the list of foods here the reasoning for putting that in here is that we could see that David's heart was that everyone who came together to praise the Lord would not leave hungry, that they would be left full and more than they actually needed. This verse right here sounds like church to me. They came together, they praised, they ate together. We got the word that you can eat. (laughs) And then they went home full. They all went back to their homes. It's not designed, praise and worship is not designed um, for you to watch. I don't know if anybody's told you that before. It's not what it is. You don't come in here, listen to people play music and watch them because that's a concert. This is church. Like, you are a powerful person, and you have participation to take place in this praise. Yes, yes, that's good. And so I want you to know that, like, whenever I'm up here on Sunday mornings and I'm praising and and worshiping, I will be singing the songs and everything. But as the Lord leads me, I pray for you guys. I pray for you guys. I'll be up here singing a song. We're having a good time, having a good time. And then... You know, there it is. Father, I just thank you for the people that you brought in today, that you brought them in here for a reason, that they can find deliverance, that they can find breakthrough, and they can find freedom here. Lord, I know that they probably had a tough time coming through, but I know that you are faithful. Whenever they show up, you are faithful to show up. And so, Lord, I pray that they would experience you in a new way today, whatever it may be, whether it's through comfort, through power, through glory, whatever it is, Lord, that you would just reach them now. They need you now. And Lord, I just speak life over them right now that they would see you for who you are. They would hear you for who you are. And that they could speak back to you with their praise. And you can do that too. I'm not anybody special. Like I, we would be better off if you did that to participate in praise. You sing back the words also because you're singing those praises to the Lord. And also, (laughs) I was about to pass this up, but it actually is a um, blessing to other people whenever you do this, which we're going to see that right here. Yeah, this is what I want to do right here. So let's not forget your praise inspires provision for other people, that this is a product of praise. And then we have this right here. I want to look at verse 16, and then we're going to look at the last couple of verses together. Let's talk about the one person that in this story that we haven't discussed yet. Verse 16 begins with Michal. 
David's wife. It says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of her window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And look at verse 20. It says, And David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And then David said back to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased or disgraced in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. When Michal called out David for looking like an idiot in front of everyone, David let her know very swiftly that you don't know what God has done for me. You don't know who God has called me to be. And so we see that right here, that a product of praise is that you realize you come into realization of who God has called you to be. And she opposed him and she said, you made yourself look like an idiot in front of all these girls. What are you doing? You're a king. What are you doing? And he said, no, Mikal, you don't understand. You don't understand that the female servants, whenever they saw their king without any of his kingliness standing before the true king, they could see my heart. And it blessed them that your praise will bless other people that are around, especially, especially whenever you know their story. Get to know people's stories in this church. Just start talking to them and asking questions because you can look at somebody and they are lifting their hands and they are praising the Lord. And you know that there's no reason that they should have the right to worship and praise the Lord because they've been through so much, but God has shown up. God has shown up in their lives. You can look at them and say, I get it. And guess what? I'm blessed. I see you and it makes me happier. It makes, brings joy to my heart to know that I, I see your heart for the Lord in this moment, that you are humble and you're coming with expectation because you have seen God move in your life. So your praise can actually bless other people around you. David took this moment to say, listen, I know who I am because I know whose I am. Let this be a reminder to you of who God has called you to be. And let this be a reminder to the people around you of what God has done for you and where he has brought you out of and where he has taken you to. Don't be ashamed because it's going to bless other people around you. It's going to bless you and it blesses the Lord. And finally, this is the very last verse. This is what I'm going to close with right here. The last verse of this chapter. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. What does that mean? (laughs) Right? That's a weird way to end this story. Michal did not bear children to her death. 
The Hebrews saw bearing children as a blessing from God. I know that some of you might disagree with me depending on the day of the week when your kids are acting crazy. But they were considered, it was, a, it was considered a blessing whenever you were able to bear a child. But we see here that her blessings of God were no longer with her because she refused to humble herself before David. I mean, I mean, before the Lord, like David did. And you might wonder why, why does this verse end this way? Why does this story end like this? I think lineage speaks very loudly here. She despised David for his praise to the Lord. And her lineage and her legacy ended with death by herself. But what about David? David's lineage can be tracked from this moment right here that we're talking about all the way through the Bible to the New Testament into one person. And his name is Jesus. It's a direct line. Your legacy and your lineage can be Jesus. You have to praise the Lord. So my question to you today is, do you want a legacy that ends with you alone in death? Or do you want a legacy that begins and ends with Jesus? Jesus. Here's the truth. You don't need permission to praise because you've already been given the freedom. And for those of you who may feel like you still need permission to praise, I'll tell you right now, as a leader at Redemption Church, that you have full permission to express yourself in praise. Yes. But, but in reality, Jesus gave you permission when he bought your freedom on the cross. He paid your freedom. He is your freedom. And he is your full expression of praise. And so we've talked today about the posture of praise, the power of praise, and the product of praise. And so what I want to do right now is practice our praise. So if you guys would stand with me, and I just want to take a moment. Hey, if, if that was you, you're the one who you got your hands in your pockets, you got your hands folded. I just want to challenge you to reach out one next level. If that just means you just taking your hands out of your pocket. Cool. If you have your hands out your pocket and that's your normal, then I would say, raise your hands. Raise your hands. I'm not telling you what to do, but I do want to encourage you to experience more than you have ever before. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh!